On the evening of April 25th, children's baseball games were being held at Pepper Hill Park, a city-run recreation center in a residential area of North Charleston. It was a normal night. Nine and ten-year-olds were playing on the field as parents, siblings, and coaches watched. Then, just before 8.45 p.m., dozens of shots rang out. An about one-minute video captured by a parent showed the moments of confusion and panic that followed as children ran or crawled to find safety. I'm Emily Williams, this is Understand South Carolina, and today, reporters who have been covering this story explain what happened, how the community has responded, and why this incident and the response to it has raised questions about how to effectively quell a rise in gun violence. Here's Jocelyn Greshik, who reports on crime and public safety for the Post and Courier. A bunch of youth baseball games were being hosted at Pepper Hill Park through the city of North Charleston's recreation department. And there were a couple different games being played on several of the fields. And tons of little kids were out on the field, coaches, officials from the city's rec department, parents were in the stands. There were just a bunch of people there. It was just, you know, business as usual until people started hearing what sounded like, to them at first, fireworks. Then all of a sudden, you start to hear screams, and you see in the video kids on the field. There was one boy on the pitcher's mound who just kind of froze and looked around before realizing what was happening, and he kind of ducks to the ground. We found out later that kids went into the dugout to hide. Parents on the bleachers kind of dropped on the bleachers themselves and shielded the kids who were with them. Some frantically tried to scan the park for their other kids who happened to be off running around playing. And a lot of them just, you know, had to rely on the fact that uh, if their kids weren't with them, they just hoped that they were near some other adult who was protecting them, but the people who I've spoken with have just described it as really chaotic, of course really terrifying, and just, yeah, a few moments of panic and and just not knowing. Basically what had happened was a group of who police officers believed to be teens had gathered in the parking lot and began arguing The argument led to some of them pulling out guns and shooting. We don't know where it was aimed, where the shots were aimed, but dozens of shots were fired. Miraculously, no one was hit. But that night at Pepperhill Park, those families didn't know that. They didn't know where the gunshots had come from or if anyone had been injured. The parents, the kids, everyone who was there stayed kind of undercover in this state of confusion for about 10 minutes until an official with the recreation department told them that it was all clear, that they could go, was safe to go. But still no one knew what had happened. No one knew if anyone was shot. No one knew if the police had come. And there was a lot of discussion um, in the day after the shooting about police response. A lot of the people who were at Pepper Hill that night were a 
upset with what they felt like was a lack of police presence. Eventually, they did see officers there, but um, they were far away, and um, they didn't see lights or hear sirens. A lot of them just got into their cars with their children and drove off. News of the shooting spread quickly, largely because there was a video shared on social media that showed what had happened. A parent of one of the children who was playing baseball that night happened to be filming her son. He was actually the one on the pitcher's mound that night. And she captured the sound of gunfire and the children reacting on the field. And it's about a minute long. And she shared it on social media and it spread like wildfire. And, you know, various news outlets began picking the video up, sharing it on their platforms, and it attracted the attention of local, state, and national leaders. Hillary Clinton, former Democratic presidential candidate, tweeted about the shooting and criticized Republican governors such as Henry McMaster in South Carolina. And then Governor McMaster responded seemingly to those criticisms also on Twitter. So I think the fact that we have a recording of the incident and I think really, you know, captures the true terror and panic of, you know, what people went through that night. I think that draws more conversation. The Pepper Hill Park shooting also came after other recent high-profile incidents of gun violence in South Carolina. On March 31st, A 12-year-old boy was shot and killed by a classmate at Tanglewood Middle School in Greenville County. On April 16th, nine people were shot and six others injured as patrons fled a shootout at a mall in Columbia. The following day, an early morning shooting at a club in Hampton County left another nine people injured. Gun violence has been rising nationwide. That's something that North Charleston Mayor Keith Summey talked to reporters about at a press conference the day after the Pepper Hill Park shooting on April 26th. Reporter Ricky Dennis was there. The mayor and the city officials uh, came out really to, A, just ensure the community that this is something that was not going to be you know, tolerated, to let the city know that they also were offering a $10,000 reward for individuals who could help them find the folks who were shooting um, out in the parking lot. We will not tolerate this behavior and we will not allow this behavior to carry forward. I am offering a $10,000 reward, not for the conviction, but for the arrest of the individuals that were here in this parking lot fighting and shooting each other while our children were out here playing ball. Throughout the press conference, the mayor kept saying the need to get guns off the street, get guns off the street. He actually said we need to go back to getting guns off of our streets. There were me and maybe three other TV outlets who were out there, so I actually asked him, you know, how does the city plan to go about you know, getting these guns off the streets. And that's when he began to say, well, we need to go back to, you know, pulling cars over and searching vehicles for getting guns because we used to do that. We used to, you know, if there was a car with a broken taillight or a car who maybe didn't use a signal when they were making a left or right turn, our law enforcement was always proactive in pulling those cars over. And in many of those cases, um, they ended up finding illegally possessed firearms. We had a stronger police presence. Um, 
in neighborhoods riding around in suspicious cars, cars that had violations, we stopped and we checked for guns and we took a lot of guns off the street. Uh, we got criticized for it, but our homicides have doubled since we stopped doing it. Uh, and we have to make sure that the citizens of North Charleston are safe. So whatever our legal department works with our police department determined that we can do that's legal to do, we're going to do it. Now, that raises obvious concerns, right? Because, you know, pulling um, a car over for an illegal, you know, traffic infraction considered what people would call pretext stops, where you essentially, you know, use some minor traffic infringement um, as an excuse to search a car for drugs or firearms and things like that. And the mayor's response to that was, well, you know, it's not um, a pretext stop if the car is doing something illegal. You're not profiling if the, if the car has a, viol- a safety violation or if the car is breaking the law. That's not profiling. That's stopping somebody for speeding. That's stopping somebody that's a light out to tell them they need to get the light fixed. Whether or not that is the case, it is problematic. Number one, because in 2015, Walter Scott was pulled over because he had a broken taillight. And then he ends up getting shot in the back after he runs from the police officer. And data has shown that predominantly when that tactic is used, who's mostly affected? Well, it's going to be African-Americans. And this is a city that is almost 50% African-Americans, a city where many of the African-Americans are, you know, in low-income crime-ridden neighborhoods. So those are the issues that it that it raises. Obviously, everybody wants, you know, to be safe. Everybody wants safer communities. But what are the consequences of taking an aggressive policing approach to pulling cars over for these you know, traffic and, and infringements, history has shown that, that it, you know, it can lead to some, some damaging consequences. Traffic stops were one of the things studied in a race bias audit of the North Charleston Police Department that was completed last year. The audit showed disparities in those stops. Despite the city having near-equal African-American and white populations, Black people were issued over half of the department's citations from 2018 to 2020, according to the report. White people received 36%. Essentially, what the audit found is what, if you live in North Charleston, people pretty much already already know, and that is there are racial disparities um, in the way that the police carries out its activities. So there were disparities in um, traffic stops, there were disparities in, in use of force, and by disparities, I mean that the people predominantly being pulled over and being on the receiving end of the brutal force um, are black people. What the audit also found was that there are many black people in the city who already feel over-policed. So you put that in the in the context of what the, the mayor is proposing, well, it raises obvious concerns, right? Because the audit's recommendation was, you know, well, there are people in your, in your city who feel over-policed, what can you do to try to address that? Well, you adopt a more community-oriented kind of policing approach, which, yeah, part of that means, you know, you're out in the neighborhood, you know, you're hosting events and that kind of thing. But it, it's also a little deeper than that. It, it really goes to the police understanding and accepting the fact that these individuals have felt over-policed, have felt marginalized, so how does that then shape, you know, how you interact and approach them? The city's in the process now of trying to um, implement the recommendations from the audit, so they have this police and community committee where 
the law enforcement and residents are coming together to try to find some some solutions. So it will be interesting to see what the people say during this process in response to the mayor's call to pull people over more more frequently. We recorded an entire episode about that audit and the community's response to it last July. If you want to revisit that episode, we'll include a link in today's show notes for you to listen. A lot of community members are also talking about the shooting that happened last May in Dias Hill in North Charleston when a 14-year-old girl, Ranjanae Smith, was killed in the crossfire of a gang shootout that erupted at a party last summer. And a lot of people have, in the wake of the Pepper Hill Park shooting, spoken about some of the differences between how city officials and city leaders have reacted and responded to the two shootings. There have been a number of homicides that have been ongoing in North Charleston for a long time in Black neighborhoods. The Pepper Hill Park shooting was a shooting, but no one got killed. So not to say that it makes it any less severe because, you know, there are kids playing baseball who have to dive on the ground because they hear gunshots. But, you know, last summer in many you know of the, of the black neighborhoods, you had individuals who were killed um, and, you know, the mayor you know never came to the neighborhood and, and, and for sure never came to offer a reward for, you know, the person who could you know, lead to information to find the person responsible. There, so you had a number of, of people in the in the city who just kind of took that as a slap in the face. Councilman Jerome, I think her justification was that, well, this was a this happened at a city event on city property. So that's why the city's response is what it is. But you do have people who are frustrated and feel that the response was more aggressive because it involved white families. In addition to that, there have for a long time been a number of community-oriented groups who have been working in North Charleston for years. And more, there have been new ones coming up, like the Positive Vibes Center that was founded by Rajne Smith's father. And Rajne Smith was the, the teenager who was killed at a party last summer. So people like, you know, Rajne Smith's dad, and you have others in North Charleston, and their concerns was that, well, you know, we have reached out to the city a number of times and have tried to get support, have tried to get funding. So this is a slap in the face to hear that, you know, we're offering $10,000 to try to catch someone when that money could have been used to support these grassroots communities, you know, who are trying to stop gun violence. I mean, they were, I mean, telling stories about, you know, waking up just one in the morning to go and break up fights or disputes, you know, in communities. I don't know of anything that is more on the ground, you know, or more hands-on than, than than that kind of work. So, you know, I guess we'll see if, you know, the city decides to to support them, but but that's that's been the frustration um is is that, you know, you you have these 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 groups and these organizations who um have been working for a long time to keep these things um from happening like what happened at Pepper Hill and they haven't gotten a lot of attention or support. I think leaders in the city are coming to the realization that the grassroots organizations have been doing the work that needs to be done to fix this issue for many years, but many of them lack funding and have not traditionally been supported by the city or the county or even the state. 
at this town hall meeting on May 2nd, which was really formed in response to Pepper Hill and the gun violence issue. A lot of these leaders of these nonprofits presented to Representative Pendarvis and Councilman Hayward and asked for financial support and highlighted the work that they've been doing. And a lot of them said, and the local leaders agreed, that a lot of these different nonprofits, you know, a lot of them have very similar missions, but there is a concern that they operate in these silos. And so I think there's a consensus among a lot of the people who are involved that if if all these people can find some way to come together and make sure they're collaborating and they all want the same thing, right, which is to stop gun violence. And so if they put their resources together, that might be one way to tackle the problem in a way that hasn't been done before. This past Tuesday, the River Dogs, Charleston's minor league baseball team, invited the two teams who had been playing that night at Pepper Hill Park to finish their game. This time, though, they were invited to play at the River Dogs Stadium in Charleston. Reporter Stephen Hobbs was there to watch. 4.30 in the afternoon, these, these groups of kids are, are lined up outside, and they, they're kind of running around, and they're feeling a little nervous, excited about what they're going to find out. The coaches were almost just as excited as they were about kind of being able to go on the field and, and go in the dugout. So these teams stream in and they go down and then they're jumping in the dugout and then they get to run out on the field and throw the ball around before the game. And that was that was just, you could just tell how excited they were. And then the game started. It wasn't really like a official game. They let all the kids hit. And some of the River Dogs players started to kind of stream out of their dugout or area and get ready. And so they lined the field and were just watching these these kids play and and yelling and hooting and hollering for them and, and really just having a good time. And you could just tell that it meant a lot to them. They just started to have fun with the and, and really started to kind of be all smiles and, and yelling and, and really just looked like they, they enjoyed themselves. And, and so the goal really was to try to be able to provide a good memory for these kids after what happened. And it really seemed like that was what that event did. Children's baseball games resumed at Pepper Hill Park this past Wednesday. Parents and kids filled the bleachers again, cheering on the teams. In response to the shooting, the city is heightening security at its recreation facilities. Whenever the department is holding activities there, two police officers will be stationed at Pepper Hill Park. The police department will also be providing active shooter training to any child registered with the department before a sports season. That's all for today. For more coverage on this story and for our episode on the race bias audit of North Charleston's police department, check today's show notes. If you have comments, questions, or ideas for this podcast, reach out. If you're a new listener, check out our Understand SC homepage where you can listen to all of our previous episodes. We share new episodes every week and focus on the biggest stories our reporters are covering. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postingcourier.com or finding us on Twitter at understandsc. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Keep up with the latest headlines at postingcourier.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>